0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Sorry about that delay. We are still learning (laughs) and uh, figuring out this whole live stream thing out. Um, But thanks for sticking with us. Um, Again, uh, my name is Pastor Danny, if I haven't met you before. Um, And I'm really glad, especially if you're a newcomer, that you've joined us this morning. And so today I have the really awesome privilege to preach God's word. Uh, So let's dive right in. So I'd like to begin with a really simple question. Who is the most political person you know? Who's the most political person in your life right now? Maybe it's a a roommate, co-worker, maybe an uncle that you see on the holidays. Take a moment to think about that. And now as you think about this person, think about what makes them the most political person you know. How do we even define political person? When I say that, that term, political person, what is it? that you hear, what are the images that come to mind? What do you see? When I hear political person, these are some of the images that come to my mind. I see people who attend rallies and events, people who hold signs on election day on street corners and wave at passing cars, people who buy those little signs and stick them into their front lawns. I think of volunteers who work at polls and help plug candidates by canvassing. Sometimes I also think of specific, specific faces like these two, Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. For those of you who don't know the reference, these are two characters from the show Parks and Recreation. And I'd, li- I'd just like to say that if you in your heart of hearts believe that two individuals with the most opposing political views can never truly be genuine friends, I encourage you to watch this show so that Leslie and Ron can show you that there is in fact another way and there is indeed hope. We all, I'm sure, have images of someone or some type of action when I say political person. But what did you think, though, when you heard the title of our sermon series, The Political Christian? When you first heard that at Cornerstone, we were doing a four-week sermon series right in the thick of election time called The Political Christian, what are some of the images and thoughts that came to mind? Today, I'll be preaching the third week of our series, and we take another look at what the Bible teaches us so that we can get on the same wavelength as a church of how we understand what it means to be a political Christian. You see, in week one, Chris, he laid the groundwork of our series, teaching us that both Jesus and his message, the gospel, are political, but that the gospel offers us a new way, an alternative to the binary view that our country's political system offers us. In week two, Pastor Hojin, last week, he taught us that as followers of Jesus, We are called to be good citizens no matter where we live, but that our ultimate allegiance belongs to God, not to any government, and certainly not to any political party. Today, I just add to what these two brothers already taught us, adding another layer, another coat of paint to what it means to be a political Christian. And I'm going to boil my sermon down to simply just two questions that we're going to answer. Number one is what is a political Christian? And number two, What does a political Christian do? Today, we look to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and we're going to cut the passage in half, each half addressing one of our questions. So let's read the first half of our passage in Luke 10, 25 through 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And some translations translations say that a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. But this language or or that choice of the word lawyer might be a little bit misleading for us because we're not talking about an attorney here. This is not civil law, like human established government um, and laws that we're talking about. What we are talking about is Old Testament Levitical law, God's word, God's instruction to his people and how they should live their lives. This is the law that we're talking about. This is the expert of the law that this guy is. The law that applies to the people of God. In other words, the law that applies to the citizens of the kingdom of God. Let me say that one more time. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, why do I repeat myself? I repeat myself because we often forget how much of our religious language is actually political. We say kingdom... And we forget that that word is about governance and politics, not faith. We call Jesus many, many terms and forget that they're often rooted in his position, not in his necessarily his deity. Things like King Jesus, we pray, Dear Lord Jesus, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, Christ is just Messiah in the Greek. All of this language, it's not Christianese, it's not religious. It's political. It just became religious language because in this case, our political leader, our king is God. You see, God's mission was to save all mankind by establishing a kingdom here on earth. And it was through the ministry of Jesus Christ, his son, and then his Holy Spirit left to the church. It's through the ministry of Jesus and ultimately his death and resurrection that God reconciled sinners who were once enemies and now made them citizens of his kingdom. So when we, say, when we think political Christian, I hope your initial starting point or the thing that immediately comes to your mind or the images that you get are not Republican or Democrat. I hope that your starting point is not, uh, oh, a political Christian is somebody who votes according to their stance on abortion or human sexuality. I hope that you first and foremost visualize someone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God, someone who submits themselves under God's word Jesus' law, and someone who joyfully longs for and works for the world to be restored into the way that our Creator intended. The laws and policies that matter most to the political Christian are not what's implemented by the president or by the leader of your country. The laws and policies that matter most to the political Christian are the ones that come out of the infallible, inspired Word of God given to us in the Holy Bible. A political Christian is someone whose entire worldview and the way that they see everything in life is influenced by Jesus. When it comes to influencing others, there are few in this world who have power like celebrities do. And many celebrities know that. So they use their platform and their following to influence people for, for good. Um, you know, so that's why oftentimes in elections we see celebrities on TV ads encouraging people to go out to the polls and to vote. And nowadays with social media, celebrities can use their own personal accounts, whether on Instagram or Twitter, to post about their stance on particular political issues. In October 2018, after two years of the Trump presidency, a very influential celebrity who had largely remained silent on speaking on anything political and and you know her followers were all kind of wondering when she would speak up. Finally, decided to speak up out of after a long time. You know who I'm talking about? Well, let me give you a clue. She may have had some bad blood <laughs> that made her not able to shake it off. You know who I'm talking about? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift put up an Instagram post um, announcing she'll vote in Tennessee for Democratic candidates uh, for the Senate and the House. And in her caption of her post, this is just a snippet. she writes this: "In the past, I've been reluctant to public, been reluctant to publicly voice my political opinions, but due to several events in my life and in the world, the past two years, I feel very differently about that now. So after her post, vote.org reported that 105,000 registrations uh, came up online after just 24 hours of her post. All Taylor Swift had to do was make a simple Instagram post voicing her opinion and 105,000 new voters voters registered to join her in the causes that she cared about. It is crazy how powerfully influenced we are by figures we follow, that we admire, that we look up to, or that we're fans of. So some of you may be thinking right now, um, yeah, I get it, Pastor Danny, but uh, like... I'm not gonna change my vote because of a musician or a movie star or an athlete. And and that's fair, I I, I believe you. Uh, You're probably not gonna change from this political party to this one just because LeBron James tells you to, or um, I'm sure you're not gonna change your political stances because Dwayne The Rock Johnson has a different one. But the reality is whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, all of us are influenced by someone. And let me just ask you a simple question just to test whether that's true. When you think about your political stances on fill in the blank, healthcare, taxes, gun control, environmental law, whatever, what comes to mind for the, what most what source was most influential for you to come up with your conviction and to inform your stance? Was it a blog? Maybe a particular journalist? or a particular newspaper that you trust or website? Maybe a YouTube video. Maybe it was a famous person, whether it be a political leader or a, some sort of celebrity or somebody on Instagram. Is it one of those things? Or when you think about your stance on political issues, is the first thing that comes to mind with what informed you your, and built your convictions, the Bible? Test yourselves. Is my stance on abortion, is it from scripture or is it from someone's blog? Is my view on immigration from the words of Jesus and Paul and Peter and these apostles? Or is it from that celebrity talk show host that I follow? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that it's wrong to be influenced by any of these sources. In fact, sometimes it's good. And I'm not also saying that that automatically means that those people teach things that are contrary to Scripture. My concern is where do we go first? Where do you go most or more often? Is it the Bible or is it something or someone else? What is feeding your mind and your soul? What text are you pouring hours over? Is it the website scrolling for hours or is it your Bible? Are you feasting on God's word? Are you hungry for wisdom? And do you seek out wisdom from the Instagram pages that you follow, or are you seeking out wisdom from the Holy Scriptures? Are the pages of your Bible getting crinkly and worn out and smudged because you're reading it so often? Or is your phone just running out of battery quickly? What are you being discipled by? Who are you being discipled by? So what is a political Christian? The answer in my mind is someone who recognizes their truest identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God and whose whole heart allegiance is to following God's word. So that naturally leads us to question number two. If a political Christian is someone whose wholehearted allegiance is to the law of God, what is it that they do? What are their duties? How do political Christians live out their lives properly? How are they lawful citizens? How do they contribute to their society? We're told with crystal clarity here in our passage, as well as in Mark 12 and Matthew 22, what the most important law is for the citizen of the kingdom of God. Let's reread verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment, the primary law, the number one law for us to follow in our lifetime is our holistic devotion and love to God and to others. So what do you do as a political Christian? You love your neighbor as yourself. You be a neighbor. You act as a true biblical neighbor to your community. Let's look at how God defines being a neighbor, a neighbor in the remainder of our passage, starting from verse 29. But the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see how God desires for us to be a neighbor. And from this passage, we'll directly get our application for today's message. Number one, we be a neighbor by loving everyone. If you've ever been taught this parable, you know that Jesus chose to speak to a Jewish audience. And the characters in the story are two Jewish religious leaders and then a Samaritan. And it's very intentional why Jesus uses these specific characters. There's a reason why the parable is called the Good Samaritan, not the Good Helper, or the good person who aided, or the good citizen. It's good Samaritan. And the reason is clear it's because Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other. They hated each other so much. There was staunch racism between Samaritans and Jews. Jesus very intentionally chooses to use characters that in their society and culture at the time hated each other's guts, and it was that person who helped. You see, a biblical neighbor. The political Christian loves everyone, including their enemies, including their enemies, those they cannot see eye to eye with, those they culturally clash with. In verse 33, it says, a Samaritan saw the man and took pity on him, meaning he had compassion. Friends, when we look at our neighbors, do we separate people and look at some people with that type of compassion and look at others with contempt? What does your current political life look like in light of the good Samaritan and Jesus' choice of speaking a parable, including characters that hated each other? You know what's been on my mind a lot lately is the word diversity. Many of us, you know, we all say it. We love diversity. I wish there was more diversity. I'm a champion of diversity. Diversity makes the world go round. This world is boring in one color and one flavor. But sometimes I wonder if we really mean that when we say it. Now, maybe we really are sincere when we say we want more ethnic and cultural diversity. I wish my office had more diversity in people of color. I wish my church was more mixed. I wish my friend group had more ethnic diversity. And maybe we also really mean that when we think that socioeconomically, because Boston especially is one of the worst cities when it comes to the disparities socioeconomically. And so we say, oh, I want socioeconomic diversity more in my life and in this, in the culture. And maybe we are sincere when we say that. But based upon what my eyes see, they seem to tell me that we definitely don't want political diversity. When you say you want diversity, this world is a better place with diversity. Do you really mean that when you hear some of the political viewpoints of other people and when they are completely different than yours? Isn't it ironic how out of the same mouth comes a call for diversity, and at the same time, a scathing slander of those people who bring a diverse political viewpoint than yours? We cannot call for diversity and then exclusively choose who fits our picture for what we want diversity to mean. Many of us need to hear this today from Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself, without bias, without exclusivity, without selectivity. Secondly, we be a neighbor by loving sacrificially. The Samaritan put everything on the line to help this man who was left for dead. He put himself at high risk. This road from Jericho to Jerusalem was dangerous. It was very common for people to be robbed, beaten, even murdered there. So to stop here, even to help someone else, was to put your own life at risk. You would put yourself in a vulnerable position. It wasn't wise to stop. He used his own goods, oil and wine, to help this man. But think about it. If you're on a journey, there's no gas stations along the way. You have to portion your rations Or you could put your own life at risk along the way, but he uses his own stuff to help this man. He puts him on his own donkey, meaning that he walked the rest of the way, expending more energy. And then he financially sacrifices, paying for this man's care so that he would have every need to get back to recovery. He pays the innkeeper and he says, I will reimburse you for any expense that you have. What does your current political life look like in light of the Good Samaritan and Jesus' description of this man loving someone at such a great cost? Think about the value of currency. Here in America, our currency is the dollar, the green piece of paper. And the only reason why this green piece of paper has any value is that it's backed in something. It's backed in something valuable, in gold. Nowadays, we have this crazy thing called cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. And Bitcoin came out and everyone got all excited and this people trying to get rich off of Bitcoin. And because it was successful, other people started trying to create their own cryptocurrencies. And the reality is that cryptocurrency is backed in nothing. It's just supply and demand, just desire, just rooted in nothing. And so many of them will disappear, have zero value, and will never remember that they ever existed. Because money is lasting and powerful when it is backed in something real and valuable. This makes me think of our social media. We're the posting generation. We love posting, posting about justice, posting about caring for the poor, posting about the opioid epidemic and mass incarceration, housing inequities, posting, posting, posting. But what is backing your posts? Is there a gold giving your posts its value? Is there a sacrificial lifestyle behind the posts that are giving its its lasting eternal value? Or will one day your post just be in the Instagram graveyard because there was nothing ever backing it? Friends, before you take out your phones, let us as the church take out our calendars and take out our wallets. Sign up to volunteer. Buy books to read and educate yourself. Donate your money. Don't just be an awareness raiser. Go and be with those people. Help them. Give to them. Give your time and your finances. You can't just be an awareness raiser of something that we realistically have no real life association with. Let us be the people of God, his hands and feet that are with the people. And let our posts just be the currency of something that is backed in a life that is sacrificial and loving. Many of us need to hear this today from Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself, sacrificially. So in review, who's a political Christian? It's someone who's a citizen of the kingdom of God and who lives by God's law. And what does a political Christian do they love their neighbors as themselves. Their heart is compassionate towards others. They love sacrificially for the sake of others. You see, all of us, we have citizenship in many communities. To our nation first, like, you know, what does it say on your passport? Mine says USA. Some of you have two passports, so you have citizenship in two nations, and then we have citizenship in our, in our states, Um, In our local cities and towns, maybe even some of us, our neighborhoods or our town square is named and we have citizenship there. So we have a lot of citizenships. And there's a universal truth about all earthly citizenship, regardless of what it says on your passport, where you are from. And it's this. If you do not abide by the law, you will be punished for not that serious things. Maybe it's just a fine, like a monetary fine. Oh, you didn't pay your parking meter $25. Maybe to being stripped of particular rights, like something a little bit more serious. You go drunk driving, so we're going to take your license away. You can't drive. So obviously more serious to being thrown in prison where you are stripped of all your freedoms. And then at worst case scenario, in certain states, in certain countries in this world, being punished by death, having your life taken away from you because of your crime. You see, the imperfect leaders and the governing authorities are the ones that you and I vote for are the ones that oversee these laws. But there is only one citizenship that you and I both share, a kingdom that we're part of where the leader is perfect in every way and 100% of the citizens are criminals, citizens that fail to follow the law and break it over and over and over again, break the law in the worst possible ways But in this kingdom, instead of the lawbreakers being fined or punished or imprisoned or stripped of their rights or even sentenced to death, the leader who is perfect and who is also just takes the punishment on himself. So he is the one that has tried unjustly, sentenced unjustly, murdered unjustly, so that the criminals, the wrongdoers themselves, would be loved and given the honor and status, not just as a citizen now, but as a beloved heir. You are in the seat on the side of the throne, an heir of this, citizen, of this kingdom that you have become a citizen of. In every other nation, you have to earn your stay. You must conform to the law, or else there are severe consequences. But in your citizenship in the kingdom of God, it is a gift given to you. Something that can never and will never be taken away from you because of who the king is. This king is Jesus, our Messiah. Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Lord. See, he followed God's law perfectly. He loved his father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. That's you and me. Jesus loved us without exclusivity, without bias, without selection, even though we were enemies with him, without contempt or hatred for us. No, he pushed that boundary aside, not because we deserved it, but because that is how powerful the neighborly love of our God is. He put his own life on the line, sacrificing not just money or comfort, He sacrifices his life, everything. Friends, you and I, we're meant to be political, but political in all the ways that Jesus was, to follow in his footsteps and loving in the way that our king calls his people to love in the way that he loved us. I'm praying for all of us this morning that the gospel would penetrate our hearts in a way that would transform us into the likeness of Jesus, the greater good Samaritan, and then lead us to engage with our neighbors during this tense political hour as citizens of the kingdom of God, whose message is good news of Jesus Christ for all people. So Cornerstone, let us receive the words that Jesus spoke to the lawyer. In verse 36, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our King. You are our God, our leader. You are our Messiah, our savior. And we ask for your help. Our nation right now is so divided, so tense. So hostile. And I know that when you look down on this earth, it's not just unbelievers who are doing that. You see the church being just as hostile too. And so we repent. We repent for our our hostility. We repent for our sin. We repent for our contempt and our hatred that we view others with. And we want to ask, Lord, that you would show us another way, the way of Christ, the way that you have shown us, the way of the neighbor, the way of the greater good Samaritan, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for Cornerstone, for everyone tuning in and watching our service right now. I pray, Father, that you would just stir up all of our hearts, transform our hearts, purify our hearts, Send them into the furnace to be purified like gold. And would it come out more like you? We want to be like the greater Good Samaritan, loving our neighbors as ourselves, loving everyone without bias or without exclusivity, loving our neighbors sacrificially, being willing to give up our own safety, our own time, our own money, our own, our own possessions so that others might be blessed. And Lord, we pray that during this tense political time in our country, that the witness of the church would just be so loud that the on looking world would see what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus, a citizen of his kingdom, a Christian who is political. We do not want to be identified by what we are against. We wanna be identified by the God that we love and by the love that we share to others because of the love that he has first shown us. So Jesus, we give you the highest praise and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to transform our hearts. We open up our hands and let go of the things that we hold so tightly to and we ask you to enter in. And we pray that you would be glorified and adored and worshiped through our lives and through our church. We wanna be like you We ask for your help now. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.